The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Lord God, we delight in your will. Oh, my God, oh, our gods, your law is written in our hearts. Now, as God's word saturates our soul and fills the sanctuary, let us prepare for the preaching of that, of that word through prayer. Let's pray together. Oh, God. Your word is more precious than fine gold and sweeter than the purest honey as we turn to your scripture. Holy Spirit, set our souls ablaze with truth and grace so that the good news of your love shines before our eyes, delight our senses, so that we cannot help but respond with wonder, faith, and trust. Meet us here and now. In Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Back in the 1960s and some the early part of the 1970s, there was a popular television commercial campaign that targeted a cultural stigma. It targeted a cultural stigma that challenged our country at that time. The cultural stigma was commonly referred to, get this, as male chauvinist pigs. Male chauvinist pigs. Now, some of you may have never heard of that, but some of us have. Male chauvinist pigs. For during that time, many women believed that they were being treated as second-class citizens, and some still do believe that. The male chauvinist pig was a title given to a man who believed that men were superior to women. Some of us who have been married for a little while, we know better than that. <laughs> we have been taught. <laughs> the, the popular television commercial campaign against the male chauvinist pig was led, believe it or not, by a cigarette company. A cigarette company named Virginia Slims. Virginia Slims. Their slogan was, get this. Okay, here it goes. <clears throat> there you go. Somebody said, <laughs> you come a long way, baby. I didn't add that. That was there. That was a part of the slogan. Virginia Slims Cigarette Company. They ran TV commercials that contrasted the woman's historical lack of rights with the modern-day situation of which women at that time and today are able to even have their own brand of cigarettes of their own. Wow. Wow. You know, we can laugh. We get a chuckle off of that because it's funny now, some, what, 40-something, 60 years later, Maybe not 60, but, it, you know, we get a chuckle about the cigarette pushing women's rights. 
and, and how they can have their own cigarette. Now you've come a long way. We Here's your cigarettes. Here they are. But the fact of the matter is the struggle for women's rights and equality was and still is real. It was and still is real. Uh, as we look at our passage this morning, uh, we can clearly see that the, uh, the Apostle Peter is addressing the relationship between a husband and wife, the marriage relationship. And as we look at our passage, it's clear. Peter devotes six verses to who? The woman, the woman, the wife. And you know what? Just one verse for us guys. That's all we need. Just one verse. That's all it is. It could it be possible? Could it dare we think that that Peter is a male chauvinist pig? Oh no. Oh no, no, no. He is not. He is not. He is writing the inspired words of God. And to that draws our attention. Our attention is now on what's going on. This morning we're continuing our sermon series on the epistle of First Peter. Steadfast in Christ. Uh, as we've talked about before, uh, Peter is writing to Christians, uh, new Christians, true believers who are experiencing true persecution in every way you could think of mental, physical, spiritual, and every way you could think of. Some are even being martyred. They're being persecuted. Now, in the midst of all this persecution, Peter exhorts, he encourages the Christians to respond in a manner that is pleasing to God. In a manner that is pleasing to God. And here it comes by submitting. Submission. This is the doctrine of submission that Peter is talking about. In our behavior, we are to submit. And we talked about this last time to civil authorities, to the government. We are also to submit to our employer. We, did, we haven't talked about that, but we're supposed to submit to our employer, even if you're a slave, at which at that time Peter was writing to slaves and non-slaves. We still submit. And today, now Peter is addressing the home, the relationship, the marriage relationship. For the Christians, their submission in, the, in, in all these areas of life is a part of a greater picture, the grand picture, the grand image that depicts their submission to God. Our submission to the world, and even now today to our spouse, is a part of a greater picture, the grand picture, the image of our submission to God. Because if we cannot submit to God, we're not submitting to anyone else. We are sovereign. We rule. But here we're called to submit, to submit today. So what are we looking at? We're looking at Peter exhorting, uh, uh, encouraging Christians to submit to, to, uh, to our spouse, to, to the marriage, to, to, our, to our spouses in our marriage. It is the same way for us, for precious in the sight of God is our submission to his will, and it is demonstrated in our obedience and faithfulness to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, to gain a better picture of what Peter's talking about, 
to begin a better understanding of the Word of God regarding this doctrine of submission, we need to look at our text from a historical context so that we can recognize the principal truth that is guiding what has been being written so that we can apply that truth today in our lives. As we look, as we turn to the historical context of this passage, what do we need to remember about St. Peter? What do we need to remember? That's the first thing you got to remember when he's talking about marriage. What do we got to remember? He was married. St. Peter was married. We, we, we know that. We see that in Mark chapter 1, verse 30, where it talks about uh, Peter being married and, and that Jesus goes into Peter's house and heals Peter's mother-in-law. He's married. He's married. Jesus doesn't only heal his mother-in-law. He heals the whole household. He heals everything. Everything comes to a blessing because Christ is there. But before that time, what happens to Peter? What happens to Peter? Christ goes around, spots him, and says, follow me, right? So what does Peter do? Peter hears the calling of Christ, and he drops everything. He leaves everything behind to follow Christ. That's true. That's what you and I have done when we got the call from the Lord to leave everything behind to follow him. But we do not leave ourselves behind. And what do I mean by, what do I mean by that? Well, we, we cannot, when, when God calls, when, J, when Jesus calls Peter, he's not leaving himself behind. Peter is one in flesh with his wife. And Jesus knows that. He knows that. When Christ calls Peter to come and follow him, he is also calling his wife to come and follow him. He is calling his wife to come and follow him. And there are other apostles and disciples who are married. And we know that because of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9. It, Paul writes this. This gives us the idea that, that the apostles are, were being accompanied by their spouses. Paul writes, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? As do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord. The brothers of the Lord are married. And Cephas, Peter, Peter's married. These wives submit to their husbands. Why? Because the wives are being called by Christ. The wives are being called by Christ as well. Peter is speaking from experience when he's writing this passage. He is speaking from, I don't know what kind of relationship Peter had before he was saved by Christ, but I do know what kind of relationship he had with his spouse afterwards because he's writing about it. He is writing, he's telling us about it. In our passage this morning, we start off, with the context. What's the context of our passage? Why is St. Peter addressing wives and husbands and their behavior in marriage during their dire state of urgency in the midst of all this suffering and persecution? If you are suffering persecution, you go, hey, Manny, let me talk to you about how, you don't, how you're not honoring Sandy. Hey, wait a minute. Look, man, I've got some other stuff going on. Sin is attacking my house. Well, let me talk about your relationship with your spouse. That's basically what he's doing. The attack is on. The spouses, the families that are, are being attacked. 
And he's reminding, he's addressing now, he's addressing the husband and wife. What happens in persecution in a family, in a, in a husband and wife relationship, when you're feeling persecution? In the midst of persecution, there is division. We start pointing fingers at each other. Like you, you, you. It's your fault. Hey, uh, you're not supporting me. And so there's in the midst of persecution, there's always pointing fingers. There's always division. There's division going on. Persecution during times of uh, relationships. Husband and wife relationships during times of persecution can weigh heavy on that relationship. Reputations are at stake and character is revealed. Now, what's a reputation? Reputation is how people know you, other people, the community, they know you. Hey, you got a reputation. I know about, hey, I know about that guy. That's how people know you. But what's character? Character is how God knows you. Everything's at stake here. Everything's at stake here. That's why he's hitting it. Now, listen, as we go into the context of the passage, we see that the, Ro the Greco-Roman moral philosophy at that time is that families are the foundational units of the, their civilization, their society. Families. Isn't that interesting? Even back then. For that reason, the influence of suspected religions, such as Christianity, a new religion, is on the family. People were looking at the family. These guys are Christian. That wife, she's a Christian. She's a follower of this Christ guy. So they're suspecting, hey, something's going to go wrong. And they're closely monitored by that civilization, by that culture. Does that make sense? Interesting, interesting stuff. They're watching a family who, who in that family, somebody claims to be Christian. Or they all claim to be Christian. Author and theologian K.H. Jobes writes this, and it's interesting, uh, writes this. Peter is especially concerned that the freedom of the gospel be expressed in the Christian household in such a way as not, as not to provoke unnecessary accusations against Christianity. He's concerned about that. He's concerned about how Christianity is being viewed by society. Job goes on to say, Peter fully understands that the gospel of Jesus Christ is subversive, it's subversive to society. It undermines the Greco-Roman social order of that day. It's flipping everything upside down. I mean, women were looked at second-class citizens. They're property. Oh, the kids. Christian, the gospel is subversive to the Greco-Roman society. It is still subversive today. Even today in our world, it continues. You see, the cornerstone of Peter's teaching is the example given to us by Jesus Christ himself. Who undeservingly suffered for the benefit of others in the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. Jesus is our example of submission. He's our example of submission for, the rela for relationship's sake. So the principal truth 
that's guiding what is written in our passage is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is submissive to the Father, to the Father's will, and he demonstrates his submission by doing what? By being obedient, by being obedient to his Father, and he lays down his life for the will of God. It was God's will for Jesus to die, his son, to die. What are we seeing here? What we're seeing here is the perfection of, a, of loving submission to one another in the relationship of the Holy Trinity. If you want to see perfection of anything, a relationship, submission, loving, love, everything, you will see it in the triune God. You will see it in the Holy Trinity. Perfection at its best, at, in par excellence. By this, Jesus is an example for all of us. Now, can we do what Jesus did? No, he's an example for us. We are not perfect. He was perfect, and we're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to get there. All of us who call ourselves Christian to follow Christ, especially in regards to relationships, especially in regards to husband and wives, must follow that example. Now, here's what happens to us, because we know we're called to do that. We know we're called to be sub, uh, submissive. Well, what happens is that in our pridefulness, we resist. In our pridefulness, we resist. Have you ever heard of somebody say this? Okay, uh, you know what? God wants me to do that, and you know he knows I have a hard time with that. He knows I have a hard time. But God, I mean, it's like he, they're telling you, you know, God gave me a buy. Like God gave me a, a mulligan, so to speak. He, he let me get away with this. Oh, God knows I have a hard time submitting to my wife or honoring my wife, as we'll see. He knows that. I struggle with it all the time. What's that person telling you? They're telling you that they're prideful. They're prideful. They're still not getting the submission part. Because if you're submitting to God, you're taking action. You're taking steps for submitting to him. And that requires work on our part. But some of us pridefully, in our humility, are saying, well, God knows I resist that. He knows I have a hard time with that. He knows me. That's prideful, sinful, because he commands us. He commands us to submit to one another, and we resist because of our pridefulness. God is commanding us to submit. Submission is counter to everything that we have been taught in this fallen world. Think about how you were raised. Think about how you grew up. Think about this world. It's counter. Man, they're going to step all over you. It's a sign of weakness. Counter to everything. But God, it, it, for God, it's precious in his eyes. Precious. Precious in his eyes. Counter to everything in this fallen world. Therefore, grace, by the grace of God, we do it. We need his grace. We need his grace to do this. And by this, we become obedient. We become obedient. Submission to one another as a husband and wife begins by submitting to God, God himself. You can't submit to your wife or honor her or love her unless you submit to God. It cannot happen, will not happen. Listen, the blessings and peace that we gain as we humbly surrender and submit ourselves to God and to our spouse 
are beyond measure, are, are beyond our comprehension. We don't know the blessings that are there, that are, that are being given to us constantly, constantly, every day. We must trust in God. So in the first, uh, in verses 1 through 6, the Apostle Peter begins by giving counsel to the wife. He begins by giving counsel to the wife. Now, here we go. He's not a male chauvinist, okay? Why is he giving counsel to the wife? First, like why so many verses as compared to the husband? Well, because it is, it is widely known at that time it, were, it was the wives. It was women who were Christians. The wives were the Christians. The husbands were non-believers. The wives are Christians. So now he is focusing on the wife. The majority of the wives were Christians while their husbands are not Christian. By being submissive to a non-believing husband in that culture, and even in our culture today, can by the grace of God, listen to this, this is what Peter's talking about. By the grace of God, by you, wife, being submissive to a non-believing husband, by the grace of God, you will lead your husband to faith in Christ. That's pretty powerful. That's powerful stuff. That's powerful stuff. And it gets better. I mean, he keeps going. It, it, he's talking about, look, be submissive, be submissive. Be submissive, even to your non-believer. And you got to know that she is sharing the gospel with him. You have to know that. She shared Jesus with him. That hard-headed husband and not listening to her. Ah, you're going through a phase. You're going through a phase. Get over yourself. There are so many religions here. I'm going to, okay, I'll worship Apollo. I'll worship Apollo or somebody else, whomever. And Peter's saying, now, go ahead and be submissive to him. Submit to your non-believing husband because by your submission, through your submission, you're going to bring him to faith in Christ. How does that happen when he talks about that? Now, how would you, come on, be honest. How would you react if you were the wife? Put your wife hat on, okay? Or the husband for that matter, right? And you're sharing the gospel and you're talking about Jesus and you're talking about salvation and that your spouse says, get over yourself. I don't buy into that. None of that. Uh, what's your normal reaction? Well, you can just get the heck out of here. You know what? You could just go to H-E-L-L, hell, and smoke a cigarette on the way. That is our normal reaction, well, isn't it? But that's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, submit. Submit. Interesting. He doesn't even bring up worshiping. Bring him to worship. Nope, he doesn't bring that up. I said even talked about it. He said submit. Powerful, powerful stuff. How powerful, how powerful stuff. Okay, so, so in, in an effort to try to hold the family unit together and to reflect a positive view on society, even this believing Christian wife will submit to her husband. How could they accuse that family of being a disruptive to, the, to society if you have a submitting wife who's trying to bring her husband to Christ? Of course, they don't know that. It's not, when the Greco-Roman society there doesn't view any problems with this family, even though there's a new religion going on, and we got to keep an eye on these boys. we got to keep an eye on this, this family. Peter is speaking as though the wife is, again, sharing the gospel with her husband, but he's resisting. And Peter says, may 
may the may the uh, okay may be one he's talking now peter's talking to the wife about the husband and he's saying the husband may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives by the conduct of their wives they the the wife has got to have it tough. It's it's got to be tough on her. But she's called. She's being reinforced. He's being he's reinforcing what he's saying. He's saying submit to your husband, even if you don't want to. So it doesn't stop there for the wife. The wife lives a life. Her life internally. She lives a life. Who she is is who she is on the inside. Her character. Who God knows she is. Her husband. Even though he doesn't hear what the wife's saying, he certainly sees what the wife is doing. He certainly sees what the, her, the wife's behavior. And the wife's behavior is in submission and respect to her husband and her pure conduct. She's not just preaching it. She's living it. She's living what she's telling him. Peter goes on to say in verse 3, that is not about the external not about the external. It's not about displaying vanity. It is not about the apparel that you're wearing who identifies you. It is what's on the inside of you. It is on who is on the inside of you. Who is on the inside resonates with the husband and with others. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That. And then he goes on to say, this is precious in the eyes of the Lord. Have you ever done anything that was precious in the eyes of the Lord? Where you're told, hey, that's precious. Where God is saying, that's precious in my eyes. That's precious in my eyes. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm taking a beating. But then you hear the Lord tell you that, and what happens? Oh, man, your con continence, your, your spirit is uplifted. Everything changes. You want to go. Because what the way you're behaving, the way you're acting is treasured by God himself. That is incredible stuff. And it's counter to everything you've ever been taught. And it's counter to everything you've ever wanted to do. Because what do you want to do? You want to kill your husband. That's what you want to do. And, 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 and Peter is saying, no, you belong to Christ now. You're... You're his, you're the, you're your husband's pathway to me. This is something that is hidden on the inside, the heart of what God sees. The fact of the matter is that not only does God see something precious that's dwelling in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, everyone else sees it too. It's not made up. You can't make this stuff up. You can't put on an act. This stuff is real. And it can be seen, not only by God, God recognizes it, but everybody else. It resounds in the radiance of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, within you, within you. That's why you submit. That's why we submit. That's why we are obedient for the glory of God who dwells in us, in you. As we go back, Peter talks about this. It goes back to history past. Uh, Sarah, the matriarch, is obedient to Abraham. She submits to him. She calls him Lord. And 
You are hearing this, aren't you? No. Okay. She calls her husband Lord. I mean, really? Lord. Ah. Incredible. You know what, Manny? That was 3,000 years ago. Come on, man. We're in 2020. I may say Lord right now in public, but... <laughs> No, it's not made up. That's who she was. She submitted to Abraham. But here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. As Sarah is called to submit to Abraham, her husband, and she does. In Genesis 21, 12, God commands Abraham to do something. Listen to what God commands Abraham to do. He says, listen to whatever Sarah tells you. What? Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Now he's talking about, well, he's talking about Ishmael and Isaac. And he said, listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So all this submission stuff and what happens, Abraham has to go back and pay attention, listen to what Sarah's saying. But then he does it. That's God, right? That's totally God. That is totally the Lord right there. Here we're looking at marriage in mutual submission and love. Mutual submission and love. There's more now. There's more for the husband. Now we're getting into verse 7. Verse 7, the, the husband is commanded, commanded to live with his wife. Uh, what? She is your wife, right? Well, God is saying, yeah, yeah, she's your wife. You're going to have to live with her. Uh, really, I mean, it talks about, okay, you're to live with your wife in an understanding way. Live. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Therefore, you must honor her. Honor her. So you have to live, okay, to live. But why would they, why would they be told, the husband would be told to honor his wife? Honor her. Honor her. It, well, when it talks about honoring, it, it's it's speaking about not dominating her, not dominating and ruling and controlling her. To honor her would show that you're loving kindness to her. To care for her. They were to honor. The husband were to honor her. Now we go back to living with. Uh, that's an imperative, okay? It's an imperative in our passage. The husband is commanded to live, to dwell, to stand beside his wife. Living with her, dwelling with her in an understanding way. This is more than just being in the same household. Just sharing your life with her. Sharing your life with one another in relationship. It's tough stuff because it calls you to do stuff. It calls you to react. It calls you to work things out. It calls you to honor and love her. This displays honor and respect for the wife. Verse 7 addresses the wife, here it comes, as the weaker vessel. Yeah, those are fighting words. Okay, I got six sisters that will fight me for that, and they will win, too. They'll beat me. No, okay. I have six. Okay, the, the, those are fighting words. Nowadays, especially, they're unpopular. While males, for the most part, are physically stronger than females in general, the implication of the phrase weaker vessel is traced back to the fall where the woman was deceived by Satan. Okay, 
What? Adam was there? He was there, wasn't he? What should Adam have done? He should have grabbed the serpent and tossed him out. He should have stopped it. He should have intervened. He should have been right in the middle of that. But he wasn't. But you, as the man of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the grace of God, are called to be in the middle of your wife's life, in the middle of the attacks by Satan and sin, in your wife's life, in your family's life, and intervene as the head of the household by the power of God. That's your role. That's how you honor your wife. When it talks about the weaker vessel, it is not talking about that she has less value for God. That is no, that's nonsense. It is not talking about that she doesn't have equal access to God's grace. She does. Remember what's going on here in this passage. The woman is called to lead the husband to Christ. That's powerful. It's not talking about the weaker vessel, meaning in lesser, lesser in God's eyes, that's uh, nonsense. She is, she is being called by God to leave her unbelieving husband to him, to him. The woman is a co-heir to the kingdom of God. At the end of verse 7, it says something really interesting and could leave us hanging. It says this. It says, you do all this so that your prayers may not be hindered. Ah, what? I mean, how are they going to be hindered? They're, they're going to be hindered if there's strife and discontent in your marriage. There's strife and discontent between you and your wife. How's God going to hear your prayers for whatever you're praying for? Whatever it is you're praying for, if you're not loving your wife, if you're not honoring her, if the, if the wife's not respecting her husband, how... Your prayers are going to be hindered because you got a bigger problem. You're not obeying God, and you're not functioning as a, a spouse the way God wants you to function, in the roles that God wants you to function. And by that, your prayers will be hindered. Get it right. Start there. I'll tell you what. Pray with your wife. Pray together. Pray with your spouse. Pray for things. Pray for your love. Pray for your love. Repent in front of each other to God. Oh, one of the first things that you will notice when your wife comes to Christ is that she prays to him. She honors him before she honors you. Not that she doesn't honor you. She does. Or she respect you. But when you see that she answers to him first, there's a burden off your back. It's like... I now can give my life to you. I trust you because you have faith in him. That's the wonder. That's the glory of a marriage. So what, when we look at this passage, what do we, what do, we do? What do we need to hear? Well, this is the application. How does a wife submit to her husband? By respecting him. God, ladies, I... Your wife's gonna, your husband is going to mess up sometimes. Okay. And now most of the time you're gonna agree with stuff and, and you're gonna go here or there, but you're gonna you know him. You know, God, man, he is just an idiot. No, I shouldn't say that. I I'm not gonna think like that. See, that's how it works. That's how it starts. And what if, what if you lay all the respect of him being the head of the household and your spiritual leader? 
You and, and you he, you provide for us. You care for us and me. What will what will that? How will that res, the husband respond to that? Well, for most husbands, especially godly husbands, they're going to respond in a very positive way. They want to care for you. They they. They, they think that even if it's pressure, they think that pressure is like a blessing. Like, wow, you, you think that much of me? Wow. I better watch myself. I better care for the person who's depending on me. It's just an instinctive thing to do. So the woman is to respect her husband. And how is the husband to be submissive to his wife? He honors her. Honors her. Even before himself. Even before, like, it doesn't matter what I get or if I get anything. If I can honor her, wow, this could be selfish, okay. But, man, if you honor her, what's everybody else going to think? Wow, man, he loves his wife. And he does. He does. He honors her. He honors. Now, what does that do in a relationship, especially a husband and wife relationship? That brings them even much closer together. They, so they, they mutually submit to God. They mutually submit to one another. The perfect relationship in loving submission exists in the triune God. We spoke about that just a couple of minutes ago. The perfect, well, the best example of the perfect relationship in love and submission is found in a godly marriage. That's the best example you're ever going to find. Isn't that neat? It, that, Paul says it's a mystery. It's a mystery. But the mystery is revealed as we echo the love of the triune God. It is incredible stuff. So if you're in Christ, the theme, the theme of our passage is humility. A person, a husband or wife cannot submit to God without humility. God does not require us to submit to him because he's a tyrant and is going to punish you. That's not why you would submit. He's a loving father who loves and cares about you and wants to have this loving relationship with you. And this relationship is shared with others, with other people. The blessings and peace that are gained by having this type of relationship with the Almighty and your spouse are blessings beyond compare. It's the beautiful life, the beautiful life that you've always wanted. There is nothing to compare. If you're not in Christ, I was thinking about that before the sermon, and I started thinking, like, I get, as an ex-cop, I started thinking, well, if you're not in Christ, keep on smoking those cigarettes, right? No, if you're not in Christ, it's not too late. Turn to Jesus and be healed and be saved. If you're married and you're not in Christ and your family doesn't belong to Christ, come to Christ, and through you, your entire family will be saved. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.